Welcome to Yours, Mine, and Ours. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona, and as a success coach, over the 15 years that I've been coaching people, the work that I've done has always come back to relationship coaching. No matter what your original goal may be, you know that at some point it's going to include other people. Relationships are all different kinds in all different ways, so what I like to teach people is how personal success is based on successful relationships. Now, last week, we were talking about MBTI personality profile system. That can get kind of confusing. <laughs> it can get kind of tough for some people just to stick through the whole thing because it is so detailed and it can be complicated. And, well, you know what? If you don't really have a reason to listen, you're probably going to lose interest. But I tried to make it simple. I stopped just as we got to the part where functionality, functional order, well, determining your functional order, we'll just do a real quick review of that. It's not too difficult because all you need to remember is the last letter indicates which of the two middle letters will be extrovertedly oriented. Even if you're an introvert, you will either do your second or your third letter in an extroverted way. So when you do one of them in an extroverted way, that means you're going to do the other one in an introverted way. Your first letter only indicates which function is going to be dominant. Because if you're an extrovert, then obviously your extrovertedly oriented function is going to be your preferred activity. If you're an introvert, your extroverted activity, yeah, you can still do it because it's your nature. But you're going to want to do the one that's introverted more. So let's take a few examples just to remember the formula and how to determine someone that you know, you want to understand them, or hey, you know what, how about yourself? <laughs> Let's take um, some of my favorites. One of my favorites is ESFJ. That's Extroverted Sensory Feeling Judger. So the last letter of that is J, which means that as a judging preference, the judging activity is going to have an extroverted nature. The third letter of your personality is a judging activity. That's making decisions. So that means their feeling activity is going to be extrovertedly displayed. So then the other middle letter of their personality, the S, is going to be introverted. So extroverted feeling is their dominant function because they are an extrovert. But their introverted sensing is going to be auxiliary. And again, with the principles of balance in nature, if extroverted feeling is a dominant function, introverted thinking, which is the polar opposite of extroverted feeling, will have an introverted orientation. So then, the second letter of their personality, the S, that's going to be their introverted auxiliary function. The opposite of introverted sensing is extroverted intuition. That's going to be tertiary. Well, how about another one? How about um, ISTP? Well, they're an introvert, so just remember, the dominant function is going to have an introverted orientation. But let's figure out which of the two middle letters of ISTP has an extroverted inclination. The last letter is a P. That means the second letter, the S, is going to have an extroverted orientation. So if the S is extroverted, then the T is introverted. Now we know introverted thinking is dominant. Extroverted sensing is auxiliary. Tertiary would be introverted intuition. And inferior is extroverted feeling. Okay, so that's probably not something you're going to think about or remember in the same way if you're just listening to it. Go ahead and take a pen and paper. Grab a few just random personalities that you want to know and that you want to understand and appreciate. Go ahead and use the formula that the last letter tells you which of the two middle letters has an extroverted orientation, and then the first letter will tell you if the extrovertedly oriented activity is first 
or second on their preference list. Well, okay, so let's just say extroverted sensing is my dominant function. Well, what does that even mean? What does that look like? Well, since we kind of understood that sensing is about being very aware of everything going on around you. It's wanting to be personally engaged in the physical parts of the world. There are some activities that are very stimulating in a sensory way. Things that are stimulating to the eyes. Things that feel good to the touch. Sometimes they don't even feel good. They just really feel to the touch. Those are sensing experiences. And if you have an extroverted preference for when you're doing things in a sensory way, that means you want to include people with you in your sensing. And when they're doing sensory things as well, you feel drawn to them to be engaged with them in their sensory activities. That's especially if it's your dominant function. Now, as we were discussing a little bit last week, the dominant is like breathing. You have to do it. If you stop doing it, you just might die because it's so it's so natural and it's so good for you. You need to do it. Your auxiliary function is like eating. You need to do it periodically and it's it's good. It feels good. It's enjoyable. It's not a lot of hard work. Your tertiary function is like walking. Well, it's not really hard, but it can get boring and you got to stay motivated. You really don't want to do it just for its own sake. Okay, well, that means your inferior function, it's like running for you. It's really hard. It can be exhausting. And everything in your body is resistant to it because it's just not an activity that you do unless you have to do it. Okay, so when we're talking about how to break down the time that you spend doing each of these activities, let's say a 16-hour day, well, about 60% of your waking time should be doing your dominant function. About 20% of your time should be spent doing your auxiliary function. About 15, 10-15% to of your time should be just doing your tertiary function. Now, I always say a minimum of 5, but really no more than 10% of your daily activities should demand the use of your inferior function. Okay, so I'm going to take a really quick break just to give you a chance to grab a pen and paper. If you're interested, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail when we come back after the break. But then today, we're also going to be talking about very personal questions. Are you truly happy when you're doing your dominant function? Well, what is happiness, really? What is true nature? And what does that mean for each and every one of us alone, with each other, and for each other. I'm Gabrielle Cardona, and this is yours, mine, and ours. BBS Radio. Welcome back to yours, mine, and ours. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona, and this is a live show, and it is a call-in show, so I'm going to go ahead and let all my listeners know that the number to the radio station is 888-627-6008. So if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out. We're going to be going over a little bit more of the functional orders. Now, before I went to the break, I discussed extroverted sensing. Let's just stay with that activity. The way I described it is extroverted sensing means you are socially interactive when you are doing stimulating activities, sensorily stimulating things that you smell and hear and see and touch and taste. If you are extrovertedly sensing in a moment, you are being interactive with other people while you are being stimulated. Okay, well, as a dominant function, that means it's so natural, it's so easy for you. What does that mean? Well, my husband's um, personality is ESTP, so extroverted sensing is his dominant function. Now, something 
without laughing too hard, something I've always enjoyed about him is that as an extroverted sensor, when there are other people around him who are also being sensory in some way for themselves, they might not even know he's there. He's very engaged and very entertained by it. I remember the first time I was watching a movie with him and there was a, a person on on the screen. They were eating a food. It was, okay, I would never eat it. <laughs> it's not something that looked really delicious. But the way they were eating it was very intense. And it was an experience and their face and their body was moving and and their eyes and and I actually felt the urge to turn and look at my husband as he was watching this and as the man started to take a bite my husband oh, oh, bite. <laughs> and his face actually looked the way the face of the person on the screen looked and I swear I, I could I could feel my husband tasting the food as he was watching it okay that's definitely someone who has an extroverted sensing dominant function. Well, okay. So then let's go ahead and talk about the auxiliary function. That's the number two on his preference list, his activity preference list. That would be introverted thinking. Okay. So that means that thinking is a decision-making activity. When you are a thinker, right? When you're performing a thinking function, it means you are considering all of the information taking it apart and putting it back together because you know what? This is important. This is time to make a decision. So this is very serious. And let's see, well, does that really make sense? Well, yeah, it does. But you know what? There might be something about that that's just not right. So let's go ahead and come up with another another option. But if you're introverted thinking, that means all of that is going on inside of you, inside of your head. You're actually not being socially interactive with anybody. Well, as an ESTP, you would think that, well, he's an extrovert. Of course, he's going to want to talk about what's on his mind. No, that's the great thing when people say, well, yeah, I'm introvert and an extrovert. No, you do certain things in an extroverted way and other things in an introverted way. So with introverted sensing as an auxiliary, I'm sorry, introverted thinking as an auxiliary function, that means that extroverted feeling is tertiary for an ESTP. Extroverted feeling. That means feeling is caring about other people, caring about their needs and their thoughts and their feelings, making a decision based on not what's logical, not what's rational, but what would make someone else truly genuinely happy and bring them pleasure. Well, as a tertiary function for an ESTP, extroverted feeling doesn't really feel right. <laughs> but they still need to learn how to do it because in life, sometimes you are going to need to make feeler kinds of decisions. And that means that the inferior function for an ESTP is introverted intuition. It's the polar opposite of extroverted sensing. So if an ESTP has to do extrovertedly feeling kinds of activities or Sometimes they have to do an introverted intuition. Hmm. So you know what? So this is what I tell people. When you have to do things in life that are not your nature, they're not the true, you know, inclination of your personality, the best way to do it and to get comfortable enough with it to be able to do it well is find the activity of your personality that has a particular social inclination like for an ESTP, it would be the extroverted sensing when they need to perform an activity that is extroverted feeling. It's easier for an ESTP to do extrovertedly feeling things if they're doing it while they are being sensory. If they can find a sensory opportunity or a sensory reason, right, or a sensory way to infuse their feeling functionality into their sensory experience. I'll give you an example of that. Now let's say ESTPs love to eat, right? Cooking, like I mentioned before. Well, sometimes it's easiest for an ESTP to do something sensitive and thoughtful and caring for the needs and feelings of others 
if they do it maybe as an act of generosity, making them a meal. That would be wonderful. Okay, so then how about their introverted intuition, which, you know what, everything about their world and everything about their life says, but look, there's so much opportunity to be sensory. Why in the world would we turn off the senses to go into our intuition inside of our minds that literally demands ignoring the world around you? That just doesn't have any practical use at all, right? And to be introverted while you're being intuitive, well, you're practically pushing people away. But you know what? Sorry, there are just times in life when you need to do that. And so it's easier for an ESTP to appreciate the function of introverted intuition and master the skill implementing that activity in their life if they utilize their intuition while they are being introvertedly thinking. So if they're actually making a decision, they need to determine, well, is this the right thing to do? Let's go ahead and say, well, well, because there's good things there and there's good things here. Then if they can conscientiously say, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity to take the time to take a step back and look at not only the immediate decision that I'm making, but the context of the big picture, which is an intuition activity. People who are intuitive do see a big picture. They think long term. They understand how things are interconnected. So if an ESTP says, okay, when I'm making a decision, I need to put it in the context of the big picture or from the perspective of long term. Okay, so then their thinking in an introverted way can utilize the skill of introverted intuition while it's being done. That's a great way for anybody and everybody to really understand how people are just going to have to do things in life that are not their personal preference, the true nature of their personality, because those things still need to get done. So let's do another one. Um, Let's see. ESTP. Let's go with um, INFP. Okay. So an INFP, that means their perceiving activity of their intuition is extroverted. But since they're an introvert, that means it's an auxiliary function. It's their feeling that's introverted and therefore their dominant function. So introverted feeling is number one on the list. That's dominant. Extroverted intuition is number two. Introverted sensing is number three, and extroverted thinking is number four. Okay, so if we're talking about, you know what, extroverted sensing is not something an INFP wants to do, but it's number three on their list. If, okay, did I say extroverted sensing? (laughs) Number three on their list is introverted sensing. So while they're being an introverted feeler, if they're doing their introverted sensing activities in a feeler way, they are going to be more willing to do sensory kinds of things. Because for an introverted feeler, doing introverted sensing things for the purpose of making other people happy, that is worth the time and energy and effort it's going to take. Well, but What about extroverted thinking? Okay, making decisions in a verbal way, using logic and ration and and analysis and, gosh, but you know what? Use it in the, the context of your intuition because if you do that extroverted thinking in the big picture, long term context, that's going to make the world a better place. If your intuition can utilize or at least appreciate the value of, the activity of being objective and being logical. You know what? Maybe playing it out a little bit more in your head just to make sure it makes sense before you do it using your extroverted intuition. Those things work very well together and they will create success for you. Okay, so again, when we're talking about how much time really should be spent each day doing the things that are not your true nature, again, I tell people there's a you know, a little margin of error, maybe 5%, but your tertiary function really shouldn't be more than two hours a day total. And your inferior function, 
uh, 45 minutes to an hour a day. The difference is what you're doing in your dominant function for maybe hours at a time. And what you can do with your auxiliary function, you know, up to an hour at a time, several different times a day, depending on the circumstances that require each of those activities. When you're doing your tertiary function, which is like walking, yes, hypothetically, like walking, you could walk for two solid hours, but that's really not a good idea. Think of it as your tertiary function is something you'll need to use periodically for a little bit in order to get from here to there in your life. Certain activities need to be done. You're going to have to walk to get there. You're going to need to use your tertiary function. But your inferior function, running. Okay. <laughs> yes, you can run for 45 minutes to an hour at a time. And sometimes you will need to do your inferior function for an extended period of time in order to build up your strength and your endurance while you're doing it, just like running. But in daily life, if your inferior function is of a high quality ability, you have not only the strength to do it, but the skill and the will to do it, doing it from here to there, you know, five, ten minutes at a time, it's actually not that bad. You might learn to enjoy it and appreciate it, but it's still going to be hard for you from time to time. It's going to require a lot of discipline and skill in order for you to maintain a good quality level of performance. So keep that in mind as you're going through your daily life, your daily activities, take an inventory now. How much of what you do periodically throughout the day qualifies as each of those each of those different activities. Extroverted sensing, which we kind of already covered. Extroverted feeling, which would be being socially interactive with people while you're being generous and responsive to their needs when you make decisions. Well, how about um, extroverted intuition? That would be verbally engaging with many different people, almost in a collaborative way, as you're just thinking about things, discussing them, looking at them from a different perspective. Intuiting is about taking a look at life in a very big way, long term. How are things connected? How are they interrelated? And what does that mean on a deeper level? Okay, sensing, intuiting, thinking, feeling. These are all important things that everybody has to do at one time or another. Please appreciate the value of learning how to not only understand the different activities, but appreciate their value. That will help you do something, master those skills, but even more importantly, appreciate and take advantage of opportunities to engage other people. You know what? If for you, extroverted thinking is an inferior function, then take an inventory of the people in your life. Who do you know that that's actually their preference? They love to do that kind of thing. Get them involved in the activities that you do. And then you'll not only get to know other people better, but you will appreciate them more. And here we go, back to the other questions. The reason to know personality is because that will help you determine if when someone is having a hard time, it's because, well, you know what? It just happens to be number four on their to-do list, right? It's an inferior function. Well, wait a minute. No, actually, that's... That's their auxiliary function. They're pretty good at it. Well, okay, because then you could say, do they just need to take care of themselves a little bit better? Maybe it's okay to, to give them a break and say, hey, you know what? I know that you're having a hard time just doing something as easy as eating. Maybe you should take a rest. Do you need to recharge? Do you want to talk about something? What is it that you need to do for you in order to go back to doing that activity that you're great at? Doing it well with a smile on your face. Well, what if that's not it? It might actually be a bigger problem, something that is going on for that person inside of them that they might actually need professional help with separate from the activity because if that's something that the person themselves has to work through to get over to actually relearn certain skills in life, certain discipline or maybe understanding certain concepts. They might need professional help intervention. You can always still then support them and encourage them and understand them and love them as they are getting more healthy, not only just in their immediate condition, but as a soul, a whole soul overall. 
Okay, so, but then when we come back from our next break here, we're going to talk about the difference between pleasure and joy and happiness. Well, well, if you're happy, don't you have joy and isn't that pleasurable? Or if you, you know, you have pleasure, you enjoy it and that makes you happy. Well, actually, maybe not. Let's go ahead and think about the difference between pleasure and joy and happiness. We'll talk about that when we come back. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona, and this is yours, mine, and ours. BBS Radio. Welcome back to yours, mine, and ours. I'm Gabrielle Cardona, and we're about to talk now about the difference between pleasure and joy and happiness. Now, again, the number to the radio station is 888-627-6008. If you have any thoughts or questions, please feel free to call in. And now, when we're talking about, well, you know, people want to feel good. This is just about feeling good. Sometimes we don't feel good. But recently I've been talking to people about what is happiness and, well, joy. Sometimes when people are talking about mindfulness and spirituality, there's a difference between joy and pleasure. In fact, sometimes pleasure can be very harmful to us because not everything that feels good is actually good for us. So that kind of begs the question of, well, what's moral accountability? Are there things that are genuinely right or wrong? Some things can do us more harm than good. Well, why would they bring us pleasure? For a couple different reasons, because we have a heart and a mind and a body and they're all very, very wanting to be stimulated in different ways and Well, unfortunately, we live in a world where sometimes good things contain bad elements and sometimes bad things contain good elements. And if they're interrelated or they seem indelibly intertwined, then, well, is it worth accepting the bad in order to get what comes with it, the good? Or sometimes, you know what, if something feels good, you know what, it's good enough to keep doing it. Well, obviously, we all know on paper that's not true because Our bodies need certain things of a certain quality in order to be healthy, in order to perform well. Our body has a lot of power to restore itself and rebuild itself and keep going. If we take good care of ourselves, then we know that we will be able to continue going. We can live a very long and full and healthy life being very active. Okay, well, what about emotional pleasure? Well, it's possible that Sometimes people can get emotional stimulation, a a good feeling, a powerful feeling, and they would define it as pleasure, but it's from doing or being involved in things that are destructive to themselves or to others. Well, obviously, emotional pleasure is important and it's nice to have, but if it's going to do something to another person or to the world that's damaging, then the pleasure is actually a bad thing. Okay, well, what about mental pleasure? There's all different kinds of stimulation, and our mind really does want to be stimulated. It has the capacity to do a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. But if we don't pay attention, sometimes the things that our mind, our brain, is actually doing can be harmful to us in the process of doing something beneficial. So knowing how to determine what for you Really, and if you're honest with yourself, your conscience will tell you, no, this isn't a good thing to do. It may bring me a lot of pleasure, mental pleasure, physical pleasure, emotional pleasure. But what it's going to cost me or someone or the world in the end is not worth it because it's actually harming someone else. Well, then what's joy? Well, joy is actually something that is a benevolent feeling. It is pleasure on an emotional level, but with a spiritual element. Because genuine joy is about deriving pleasure from someone else's good. 
and something positive that you have created. When you have done something destructive or negative, you never truly feel joy. And this is the great thing about being human. Unlike animals, we do have a conscience and what we think and feel and say and do does really matter and how other people feel and respond to what we think and say or do really does matter as well. Unfortunately, in the last 50 years or so, certain social changes, right, different philosophies that have come into the world about me first, my rights um, without responsibilities, my preferences, my pleasures, my happiness, no matter what effect it's going to have on you, may have had some some good purpose in the beginning, but it was taken to such an extreme now that freedom of speech has become entitlement to abusive speech. And freedom of choice now has devolved into choosing to hurt someone else. Even things like my rights, my, my justice rights in the court, there are certain things that people actually think it's better to let a bad person go free than to wrongly incarcerate an innocent person. Unfortunately, as a society, Americans have taken advantage of that. And so whenever there's an opportunity to, yeah, really implement a good philosophy, a good concept or a good principle, it's taken to extremes. And so it's become destructive. When we're talking about genuine joy, no one can actually feel true human joy while they know that what they have done or someone else has done has been damaging to anybody. But that brings us to our next question, and that's happiness. What is true happiness? That is balance in life in a spiritual way, in an overall lifestyle. Now, I think about, I think about happiness as the example that I use sometimes for people is as they are trying to become more healthy and they say, you know, I've had a lot of bad experience in my life. I've had a really hard time doing certain things in my life. But you know what? I got strong. I got strong. And you know what? The things that happened to me before that may still be happening to them now, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I'm happy now. Okay. Sorry, but... You can't be truly happy if you don't care about something because that's not organic. We are attached on an emotional and mental and physical level. It's those three elements that have to be working in a positive and healthy way in order for spirituality to truly occur. And happiness can only happen when there is spirituality. So if you have to sort in your mind through something, talk yourself through something, and you know what, I don't really care anymore, then I'm much better because at least I'm not having negative feelings. Well, it's okay to have negative feelings once in a while. We talked about that before. Anxiety and fear and anger are just your body's way of saying, okay, something needs to get done here. I'm giving you a little... uh little indication <laughs> that you need to deal with the situation that you weren't really paying attention to. I'm going to continue to motivate you to do something to take care of the situation. So you can have negative feelings like anxiety or fear or anger and still be a happy person because if your mentality and your general mode of living, your modus operandi is about being proactive and positive, you can look in a situation or at a person and say, I don't approve of what you're doing. And we need to deal with a situation because I had feelings, right? That tell, tell me, you know what, you got to deal with the situation. It's a problem. And I am dealing with this problem now in a proactive and thoughtful and considerate and informed way to make sure that whatever is in my life is healthy the way that it should be. And that includes doing and being things to bring out the best in others. Well, that's easier said than done, obviously, because not everybody wants to work with you and not everybody wants to be what you want them to be. And you're not always going to be what they want you to be. So what do we do? Agree to disagree? 
Well, does that kind of resort back to the, well, but I don't even care. No, because agree to disagree means that we both understand the other person and we both still appreciate the other person and we don't have negative feelings going on because if you still have negative feelings going on, it means that you have not effectively dealt with the problem or the issue or the challenge to your own peace of mind. You absolutely can have peace of mind when you're in a situation that's not necessarily to your liking because you know that you have done what you need to do for you. That may mean, you know what, you just got to leave the situation altogether because as much as you were willing to negotiate, the bottom line, you know what, it actually wasn't right for you. It wasn't good enough for you. Okay, but as you're walking away from a situation that you're not really happy about because of the, the situation, you can say within yourself, I have peace and I'm not going to be reactive. I am being proactive. There is no such thing as neutral for humans. We are in motion, constantly in motion. Even when we're sitting still, our mind and heart are still being active. Detaching from ourselves emotionally or mentally in order to continue has turned off part of our soul. That is going to damage other parts of us because the other parts of us are going to need that part that we have either detached or turned off. Well, does it even really matter? Yes, it does. Because when other people then interact with you, your performance has been compromised, your attitude and your energy are actually negative, And that affects them in a negative way as well. And they're going to continue to propel that negative energy. It might not be mindfully. They might not even know that they're doing it. But take a look, take an inventory at others first, because obviously it's easier to look at others and to make that determination. How much of what a particular person is doing is mindful, conscientiously, proactively on their part? How much of it is aggressive? How much of it is reactive? Well, you know what? The more comfortable you get with just the idea of taking a look at behavior in that way and then classifying it, detaching it from other things and specifically in and of itself, how would you describe what you do in life and how much of the things that, well, they could stand to be a little better, how many of those things are because you're either detached or you truly are genuinely unhappy and still sorting through those feelings as they go through you. If you understand how personalities work and how human energy works, how thoughts and feelings work, you will be more willing and actually probably more eager to be a good person, aware of what you're doing in a good way, because then the next step you are going to have that effect on other people and you will start to draw good people to you as well. And it continues to feed off of each other because again, in life, in nature, in humans, there's no such thing as stillness. Everything is moving energy between people, inside of people, around people. That's you and me. That's yours, mine, and ours. We're going to take another quick break. My name is Gabrielle Cardona. I'm your host. BBSRadio.com Welcome back to yours, mine, and ours. I'm Gabrielle Cardona, your host, and again, the number to this station is 888-627-6008. And I understand that as a live show, sometimes people are going to have questions afterwards, maybe uh, before. They're not really in a situation to dial to ask a question. That's fine. Always go ahead and go to the the website, bbsradio.com, and type in one of your questions. Anytime that you have a, a thought, 
maybe just jot it down. And I'm trying to get some people to call in just at this particular time frame here. Now, what I was talking about um, when we're talking about proactive and reactive and positive energy, I was actually thinking about something that I had a conversation with a, an esteemed colleague of mine. And then it, it spilled over into, well, a conversation, a personal conversation with my husband. And my husband comes from a culture where, you know what, it's Hispanic. There are still certain social standards. There are just ways that people need to behave. And they look at places like the United States and say, wow, they're very selfish and they only care about themselves and they have very little discipline because there are just certain things like social propriety. You don't need to disrespect someone for no reason. And I said to my husband, you know what? I think that there's an extreme because here we always say everything that we want because it's our right. And yeah, yeah, we do cross the line a lot of times. But honey, where you come from, people never say what they're truly thinking because they don't want to rock the boat. There's got to be some kind of in-between. A lot of times when I'm doing business or social interacting with um with the Hispanic people in my congregation. Now, we've got a lot of diversity, not just Mexico, Central America. We've got South America. I even have a couple um, from Spain. Okay, now, trust me, Spain is nothing like Cuba. Yes, they both speak Spanish. But <laughs> getting to um, know different cultures and different individuals is challenging. Well, here's where the real big, uh, we won't say debate, we'll say a discussion. Yes, discussion came up. I actually made a comment that I really believe, and it's a big part of the reason why I don't like feminism. A lot of my connections, a lot of my clients, a lot of my colleagues know that I don't approve of feminism because it has actually had a destructive impact on not only women and the way that they perceive themselves and men, but also men because it has really um, limited their freedom to do and be and say what they truly think and feel simply out of fear. Well, you know what? Guys really aren't that bad <laughs> for the most part, right? Let's just accept that. A lot of men are very good people. And not all women want to be aggressive. Sometimes it is okay to be barefoot and pregnant and in the kitchen and you don't have to fight for money and you don't have to prove that you don't need a man. Because guess what? Yeah, actually, we do need a man. And men need a woman. Woman, <laughs> We do work well together and we do complement each other. No, we don't complete each other. We work well together and we complement each other. And one thing I actually said was, you know what? An unhealthy woman can do exponentially more damage to a healthy man than an unhealthy man can do to a healthy woman. Okay. Okay, wait a minute. Now, did that? Was, is that true? I'll say it again. An unhealthy woman can do more damage to a healthy man than an unhealthy man can do to a healthy woman. All right, I'll just get right down to it. The bottom line, because men are much more affected by women than women are by men. We, I say we women, <clears throat> have an amazing ability to do a lot of different things. We're very talented. We're very skilled. We're very resourceful. I even explain to people, <clears throat> excuse me, that one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is um, Proverbs 31. That is a to-do list and a half. For a woman, we have a lot of different places to be and things to do and yeah we got we got a lot of just people who are relying on us to get a lot of things done that means that yeah a man is part of it but for the most part he has a very limited role in our need for things to get done during the day we absolutely value men and we appreciate them and we love them and we like them a lot but we don't really need them in order to be functional because our functions are so so broad and so numerous but you know what men aren't like that men are very different they're very simple 
They're very basic. They have two, maybe three main things in life that they need to do, right? They have the skills and talents and abilities to do all of the different things that a woman can do. And women can do all of the things that men do. But men are wired very differently. They're very fundamental and they're very basic. Men only have enough blood for one head at a time. If a man ever falls in love with a woman, she owns him. She has him in the palm of her hands. Now, if she has a man truly in love with her, he is going to be very willing to do what she wants, when she wants, how she wants, where she wants. Yeah, you know what? And more importantly, she can make him miserable. When you have that much influence over someone, which you do when that person loves you, truly, genuinely loves you, when you have that much influence over that person, you need to be responsible with how you wield it. You need to be accountable for what you do to that person. Let's be honest, ladies. When we have stuff to do, yeah, a man is interesting. He's nice, but we don't really need him at all times. And yeah, when we have him, he's very important to us and we love him. He does make us feel really, really good inside. But our ability to compartmentalize is a big part of why we can multitask. Now take, in, take notes here, gentlemen. We have the ability to multitask and compartmentalize. That includes with our relationships. That doesn't mean we've turned off our feelings. It doesn't mean we've disconnected because I've already explained in the show today, disconnecting is not healthy. Turning off your feelings is never a good thing to do. But if you are constantly having to do things all the time, a man works from sun to sun, a woman's work is never done. Yes, we are on 24-7. What we need from you is vital to have with us at all times as we are not with you. So a woman can love a man very much. The love that a woman feels for a man is not the same as the love that a man feels for a woman. So when a woman is upset and she starts saying and doing things to make her husband crazy, well, he can try and do those things back. It's not going to affect a woman the same way. Because we can fight and we can stick it out and we can keep going and we can say and do things to make you crazy. And you know what? Men have a low threshold. They're going to give in. They're going to concede or they're going to walk away or they're just going to go completely nuts and shut down (laughs) because their threshold is so low for that kind of activity. Well, you know what? It's important to remember, ladies, and again, I love this scripture as well because it's got a lot of practical application. It's better to sleep on the corner of a roof than in the same warm bed with a woman looking for a fight. When we want to fight, we will keep going and going and going. You know what? If a man's fighting with another man, he may very well be be able and willing to do that because it's not the same with a man as it is with a woman. When a woman really wants to fight, she's always going to win, even if it's not in the form of a concession from him, right? Because he might not ever actually truly agree. He just might say, you know what? Fine. Forget it. I, I, I just walk away. I'm giving up here. That's not the same thing. So when you ask yourself, ladies, when you ask yourselves, am I contentious? Do I start fights with the men in my life? Well, is the job that I have here because I had to fight? Is my husband letting me do or be or have what I want because I fought for it? Is the way that men treat me in public, men who don't even know me, men who know me, and they kind of, yeah, hey, how's it going? Is the way that they are treating me truly their own feelings? Is it proactive? Is it an informed decision on their part? Is it genuinely, emotionally wholehearted on their part? Well, what if you don't know? Well, then take a little inventory of yourself. How often as you're going through the day, 
just in your daily activities, do you tend to feel aggressive or confrontational? Well, maybe not very often. Okay, well, the times that you do, why? Why would you act that way? Or why would you feel the need to act that way? This is kind of a a question just to kind of mull over for the next week or so. How much of your time is really spent proactively being positive and especially as a woman with men? The men in your life that you have a personal relationship with, the men in your life that you know and interact with but don't necessarily have anything of a a real social relationship, and then the men that you see in life on the street that you'll never know, you'll never meet, you'll never speak to. How much of what men do for you and give to you is wholehearted on their part, it's very willing, and they're very happy as they do it, and how much of it is just because it's easiest that way. Does that matter to you? Men, does that matter to you? How much of what you do for women in your life is proactively heartfelt, willingly, and enjoyed by you. Take an inventory of the women in your life. How many of the women in your life say, hey, tell me what you want. I'll absolutely do it for you. In fact, I'll do it in the way that you want, in the time that you want, in the place that you want. And I don't think that's undermining my value or my validity as a woman because I absolutely feel comfortable and confident with myself. I'm healthy and happy myself. So I would love to give you what you want to make you happy as a person in my life. Tell me what it is that you need. And then if you told them what you genuinely wanted or genuinely needed from them, they would in fact be okay (laughs) giving it to you. They would not be offended. They would not take it personally. And they wouldn't start a fight because what's yours and what's mine when it comes together is ours. If we're both healthy and happy and proactive when we're apart, we're healthy and happy and successful when we are together. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. We'll be back next week at the same time, same place. My name is Gabrielle Cardona and this is yours, mine, and ours.